0: As they're going, I want to mention something that happened in our 9.30 service this morning. Sam Newland was ill, and it was um, kind of a scary moment, but also heartwarming to watch members of this church gather around him and support him. Uh, Renee jumped into action like only Renee can. Dr. Marilyn Sanders came across the aisle and was helping him. Sam has been taken to the hospital out of an abundance of precaution, and Dr. Marilyn Sanders went with him. It's something to hear the words of love and the words of shepherding and to see it being acted out even as we sang the words, even as we said the words. It reminds me again of what a wonderful people you are and what a good place this is to belong to the body of Christ. I have a wonderful friend and she goes on vacation and when she comes back she usually brings a memento that she gives out to her friends and so she gave me a rock Actually, it's a piece of granite. I think it has its own beauty. It's rounded from years in a stream, I think. And for its size, it's quite heavy. And I read this passage that they took up stones again to stone him to engage in that barbaric act of stoning someone to death, to hear the sound of stones tearing into human flesh, to hear the thud of a stone into bone, to hear the shriek of the dying, to hear the silence of death. Apparently they were quite serious about their theology. I wonder how we respond to this reading. I suspect some of us kind of responded by just yawning. It doesn't quite connect with us. And maybe somewhere on that continuum of picking up stones to throw at somebody or just yawning with boredom, maybe somewhere in there we need to find ourselves. John sets the scene. It's a festival. I can't help but wonder if maybe it's like our festivals where we nod toward the historical significance of the time and we engage in the rituals that are required and then we party. I don't know. But he says something then that is interesting to me... ...because you don't get many meteorological comments in the New Testament. He says, it was winter. I don't know how cold it gets in Israel... ...but I'm persuaded it's not that cold. Not like here. Not like multiple inches of snow sometime. But in a place without heating systems... ...in a place where you maybe built a fire and had to stay close to get warm saying it was winter, meant something. He sets the tone. He has Jesus walking in a cold place, in cold air, and a cold question is asked. It says the Jews asking him a question, and I want to pause there for a moment. There is a growing anti-Semitism in our nation and in our world And often they point to passages like this to say, therefore, we should take up stones against the Jews. This is not about a race. It's not about a religion. It's about clergy. It's about well-educated clergy who come to positions of power and prestige. And so when you read this, hear clergy. But it also forgotten what they were about who were seduced by that power and afraid of change, able to quote some scripture to kind of undergird anything they wanted to do, the clergy had a question for him, a cold question in a cold place. How long will you keep us in suspense? There are folks who live in a sea of human suffering and human injustice, and they're, they're concerned about their suspense. Jesus responds to them by saying something that everybody here has said to somebody or has heard said to them. If you've been in a long-term relationship, I guarantee you, you have said this or you've heard this. You're not listening. Do not check with my wife to verify that. She'll give you too many chapters and too many verses. <laughs> he said, I've told you. You don't believe me because you're not my sheep, because you're not in relationship with me. You're not open. You're as cold as a rock in the wintertime. He said, my sheep hear my voice. If you're in relationship, you hear the voice. And we struggle today because there's just so many voices Voices from our past whispering that we're not good enough, whispering that we're not smart enough, whispering that that shame that robs our self-esteem. Voices of grief. Religious voices that tell us we could just grow closer to God if we just believe just the right doctrine in just the right way. That want to twist our humanity to fit their crippled and crippling ideas and notions of religion. Voices of self-doubt. Media voices telling us to be angry about anything and everything until we're just worn out with it all. Political voices that lie, deny, confuse, and belittle. A cacophony of voices touting products to make us smell better and own more and mostly transfer our money to them. But the issue becomes to which voice, which voice do we choose to hear Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They recognize the voice. My son-in-law, Brad, is something of an animal whisperer. And I have to tell you, at the end of the 830 service, a boy came back to the service to the door back there and asked me if this is a true story. It is a true story. Brad and my daughter, Jen, were staying with us one summer while they were looking for jobs after graduation. And I got home one day, and Brad had a baby robin in a cardboard box. He'd snatched up parts of the lawn to make the robin comfortable. I overlooked that part. He found the robin on the sidewalk in July in downtown Louisville and knew it would die without help, and so he brought it home. And he called a vet and asked, how do I feed this bird? And the vet told him, you take a fork and you get dog food and you take the dog food and you shove it down its throat. And that's what he was doing when I got home. <laughs> Apparently, birds don't have a gag reflex. It makes me kind of gag thinking about it. The bird got better. The bird got stronger. It wasn't long till the morning came that the bird flew up to the eave of the roof. And that one morning, I was standing next to Brad, and the, the bird made a noise like I have never heard a bird make before. And Bur- and Brad, in something of a gruff voice, said, Well, if you want to be fed, you got to come down here. I can't come up there. And the bird flew right to his shoulder. Birds don't fly to my shoulder. They've done other things on my shoulder, but not... <laughs> the bird, the robin seemed to know who had saved her, who had fed her, and who'd set her free. It didn't matter if it's a gruff voice. It was her voice. Our text is part of John's gospel, that 10th chapter, that contains the parable of the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, the one who knows us by name, who knows us and calls us by name. And John's gospel concludes with Simon Peter's confession where he says, you know everything about me. The good shepherd leads and loves, and that's the voice they recognize, the voice we want to hear. Years ago, I was on a new hospice patient, and she lived near Iroquois Park. And my first visit there, when I opened the door to go in, just the air just took your breath away. It was incredibly gamey. And there were animals in the house like you wouldn't think of as pets. And I asked her about them, and she told me a few years back that she'd found a, uh, an injured raccoon in her backyard. And she took the raccoon in, and she fed it, and she nurtured it back to health. And raccoons can be dangerous animals. And she said, one day, the raccoon just waddled back over toward the park. And she said, a few days later, there was another animal that came from the park, and I found it in the backyard, and I nurtured it and got it well, and it went back to the park. And a few days later, here came another one. And after several weeks of this, soon it was just this highway back and forth from the park. I don't know what kind of grapevine they had going at Iroquois Park, but they seemed to be able to talk to each other across species, and seem to be able to give the proper address. (laughs) This is where somebody will care for you and get you well. What voice do we choose to hear? Maybe the one that brings safety and healing. And Jesus tells them, my works testify. The things I do tell you who I am. And if you go back just a couple of chapters in John's gospel, you see those works. Two chapters before this, the clergy are asking questions of Jesus. They've caught a woman in the very act of adultery, and they've stood her in front of everybody. Apparently, it's you can commit adultery all by yourself in their thinking. In this humiliating position, they say to Jesus, Moses said to stone a woman like this to death. What do you say? He wrote on the ground. We don't know what he wrote, but I love some of the speculation that maybe he was writing the names from some of that group who'd done the same thing. Don't know that. But when he looked up, he said, whoever doesn't have sin, you take the first shot. A courageous work. Testifying to one who refuses the role of the judge. That's really good news. In the ninth chapter, there's a man blind from birth, and the question is asked, even by his disciples, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? Whose fault is this? How can we ascribe blame? And Jesus tells them, it's the wrong question. It's for the glory of God. Well, how can that be? With Jesus, there is this healing, but it's also about what questions we need to ask and we discover things that are of God. It's what's it like to be born blind and be blamed for it? Jesus shows him in this marvelous work a God who cares for people and does not care about blaming but maybe we need to ask ourselves some question in this day and time. What's it like to be brown and flee poverty and violence and be blamed for it? What's it like to contract a terrible disease and be shunned for it? What's it like to be mentally ill and have people shy away from you and isolate you? The clergy of Jesus' day feared their loss of power and position And we today fear that there's not enough to go around. And we're ready to take up verbal rocks and throw them at those who seek our compassion. Jesus said, My works tell you who I am. I'm doing what God wants, God and I are one. And they got angry ready to stone him. A few weeks ago on a Friday night in this place, after the service, one of our regular worshipers motioned for me and he told me that somebody wanted to speak with me. So I walked over to a young man that I'd not seen before and that I have not seen since. Started to introduce myself and he tore into me, told me the sermon was terrible it was awful. And I said, well, which part of the sermon was terrible or awful? I mean, I've had some sermons I thought weren't that great, but people who feel that way usually don't bother to tell me in such unforgettable tones. He said, all of it. You never mentioned sin. You never mentioned judgment. All of it was terrible. You're a terrible person. And my efforts to get him to tell me where he was from and what brought him to Friday Church, it just got the same response. It was an awful sermon. You're a terrible person. Until finally I said, this conversation is over. And I turned and walked away. I want to be a follower of Jesus, but I'm not Jesus. I'm pretty sure that being the target of his anger I am not the source of his anger. But for me, there was this sad juxtaposition of what we had just done in worship because we conclude Friday worship with the sharing of prayer requests. And these are folks who are here who are going to leave this space and go downstairs and go to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting trying to beat the addictions that demonize them. Here are the prayer requests we had just shared Pray that I can overcome my obsession with drinking. Pray for my sisters and myself in recovery. Pray for my my friend whose sister died. Pray that I get back to my kids and my wife. Pray for guidance and strength for me to help others in the process of recovery. Pray for my family, my friends, and my enemies. The prayers are raw. The pain's real. The hope is tenuous and tenacious. Their requests portray a faith and a brokenness. And they come here. They come in that back door, and they're met by people of this church who begin by treating them with respect And showing them love. And they hear music up here about doing away with the shame and the sorrow. And respecting them as human beings. And I'm so grateful for a church that gives a place for Narcotics Anonymous. To continue the healing they begin in worship. And how sad. That one young man came here ready to to throw stones Unable, unwilling, to see, to see how God is healing broken lives. And doing it at all times on a Friday night. The works of Christ are all around us. The work of love is all around us. The question, do we see it? Do we listen for it? Whose voice do we choose to hear? Amen.